Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Okay, so we're preaching on what is a Christian. Um, that's how we started. The year. It's interesting, if we, ask, if we were to ask um, uh, non-followers uh, of Jesus, what's a Christian, what do you think they would say? They would say, those are the people who go to church, right? They might say, um, well, uh, they're not Jews and they're not Muslims, so they're Christians, you know, that's the other option. Um, they might say, those are the people who are kind of uptight, right? Uh, they might say, those are the people who uh, got some rules about sex and abortion and things like that that uh, seem antiquated. Um, they might say, um, those are the people you don't want to sit by on an airplane because they might try to convert you. Um, so if you ask Christians, if you ask Christians, what's a Christian? What would they say? Um, I can tell you because I've been asking for 40 years and you know what very often uh, they'll say? They'll say one of these two things. They'll say uh, a Christian is somebody who has asked Jesus into their heart. And if I'm in a particularly foul mood, sometimes I might want to ask, what in the world does that mean? To ask someone into your heart. Um, that's what Christians would actually say. Now, or they might say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Okay? So what is a Christian? We've said a Christian is somebody who is an adopted child of God. They're a beloved child of God. They're not naturally a child of God. But, uh, but God found them, adopted them, made them uh, his own. So that God's their father, right? Jesus is their older brother. We said secondly that not only is a Christian uh, a beloved child, but they're a part of a beloved community. They're not only children. They have brothers and sisters, right? Brothers and sisters they do life with, they're responsible for. It's called the church, right? Adam Jones told us last week that Christians are worshipers. They worship um, God. They find delight and joy in God and they have to express it um, together. So you got it? So this week, what's a Christian? A Christian is a disciple. So Stan, we're at uh, Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it to Luke chapter 9. If you're home on the couch, you got no excuse. Get your Bible. Um, Luke chapter 9. Uh, you can watch on the screens. Um, as I read, so here's, here's three little encounters right here in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is talking to his disciples or people who are following him, right? Come follow me. And so the first is at the 23rd verse of Luke chapter 9. Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If anyone would be my disciple, he's saying, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself, or as some translations say, or loses his own soul? 
Now, if you're looking at a Bible, turn to verse 57 of Luke chapter nine. And Jesus is walking along the road. And it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And you might think that Jesus would instantly turn and say, awesome. But Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man, Jesus is speaking of himself, has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is saying, do you understand I'm homeless? Do you understand what it means to follow me? So to another, Jesus said, follow me. And he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, or anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, well, they are not fit for the kingdom of God. And then if you have a Bible, you just turn over one more page and you're in chapter 10. And we come to an encounter that Jesus has in the house of a woman named Martha. It's verse 38 of chapter 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, listen, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. You know, one thing is vital, one thing is preeminent. And Mary has chosen the good portion and that will not be taken away from her. This then is the reading of God's holy, infallible word. And it was given to us, why? So that we might become disciples of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated, please. Are you a disciple? There's the question, right? Are you a disciple? The answer is everybody's a disciple. Everybody's discipled by somebody, by your mom, your dad, by a grandparent, by a school teacher, by a coach, right? Somebody's influenced your life. Somebody's taught you how to do um, life. Perhaps it's somebody you don't even know. Perhaps it was an author. Perhaps it's uh, a uh, social media personality, an influencer, right? Um, somebody's teaching you how to do life. People like to listen to Brene Brown. They like to listen to her podcast, read her books. Um, she has lots of helpful things to say. Her TED Talk uh, was the most listened to of all. Um, some people like to watch Oprah every day. Back in the day, I suppose, some young men. It's Jordan Peterson. I know when I was learning organizational leadership, I read Jim Collins, everything Jim Collins wrote, Stanford professor at Stanford Business School. Jim Collins taught me uh, so much about how to think about leadership. Everybody's being discipled, right, by someone. If you fish, if you hunt, if you garden, if you bake, somebody taught you how to do, I mean, if you're any good, right? 
Um, somebody taught you how to do those things. The last couple of weeks were amazed and we're still hearing these stories and I suppose they'll write books about it in years to come. But there were in Kabul, Afghanistan, there were uh, retired army rangers and, and Delta Force and, uh, and Navy SEALs. These are retired people. So they're not part of our, our government's effort there. They're not part of our military. They're not part of the State Department, the CIA, the embassy, any of those. These are people who went over on their own and uh, found people that they wanted to extricate uh, from Afghanistan for their good. In many cases, they chartered aircraft. They made alliances with other countries completely on their own. And I, I think about these people doing this. They got thousands of people out. And I think... How do they know how to do that? Um, what if they dropped you or I in there to help people, right? How do these people know how to do that? Well, somebody what? Taught them. So here's the question. Who's gonna teach you how to make sense out of this world, right? Who's gonna teach you how to live in this crazy upside down world to have purpose? Purpose, figure it out when you're um, 16 and 18 and 20 and 24 and 26 and, and, uh, and 35. Or figure it out when you're 79 or 83 or 91, right? Who's going to help you make sense out of your life, um, out of this world? Who's going to teach you how to be a Christian? Who's going to teach you um, how to parent? Who's going to teach you how to do marriage? Who's going to teach you how to do a second marriage, right? Who's going to teach you to be a good listener? Who's going to teach you to actually see yourself accurately the way other people see you? Who's going to turn you into somebody that, um, that talks less and listens better? Um, who's going to do all those things? Somebody has to teach you how. I have a suggestion. Become a disciple of Jesus. Ready to go? Take your sermon outline. It's in your worship folder. Let's go. All right? So first, two things. The sermon's very simple. Two things. What's, uh, what is a disciple? What's a disciple? The definition. And the, and the latter is how do you become one? Ready? Here we go. A disciple is this. A disciple is um, a learner. They, they learn Jesus. A disciple learns Jesus, right? Um, wouldn't it be amazing if it was Jesus who was your teacher. So a disciple, this is a classical definition of the word, right? A disciple is a student, a learner, an apprentice. A disciple enters into a personal relationship with um, the teacher, much more intimate than we have with um, typically school teachers or, or even a student pastor or people who influence um, our life. Because a disciple actually, uh, in Jesus' day, um, you, not, you, you, you live with, you ate with, you did life with, you were around all the time, the person who was your mentor, right? Who you were apprenticing. So even if you were learning to be a carpenter or a mason, you would go live in the house of that person. You would be with them 24 hours a day. So if you were a disciple of Jesus, you um, went and, uh, and, and entered this um, relationship with them. You brought your whole life under their authority because you weren't just gaining a skill. You weren't just um, grasping knowledge. You were, um, you were acquiring wisdom and character. 
That's what a disciple is. They, they came under a master teacher, right? Now we know that Jesus recruits 12 students, right? And they're going to follow him everywhere he goes. And he only has three years with them, right? And he's going to teach them everything they need to know so that it will go out what, this, what he's begun here, the ultimately making new of everything that's broken in our world. He's going to count on them. And, uh, and so they watch him do um, life for three years. So they watch him eat with, um, with Pharisees and tax collectors and and uh, types they probably would have had nothing to, people they would have had nothing to do with. They watch him um, touch uh, lepers, which nobody did. Um, they watch him talk to Samaritans, which nobody in their culture would have done, right? Um, they're constantly surprised, just like Adam talked about, um, you know, the, the, we, we know the parable of the good Samaritan. Last week, Adam talked about the bad Samaritan, right? The woman at the well with all the different husbands and boyfriends. And uh, they couldn't believe Jesus was talking not only to a woman, now because rabbis didn't do that, but he was talking to uh, this Samaritan. Uh, he was talking to an immoral woman. They watched all this. They watched him preach on the hillside overlooking um, the Sea of Galilee. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, right? Lots of instruction. Um, and very often when he gave instruction, like he told parables, when he was done, and uh, uh, they would pull him aside, and what would they say to him? What did that mean? <laughs> we have no idea what you were talking about, right? And then they'd, uh, Jesus would explain it. And we get the benefit from that, because we not only, in the Bible, we don't only have just Jesus' teaching, but we have the explanation, right, that comes with his teaching. They saw a woman caught in adultery thrown at his feet, uh, and he defends her. He also tells her, don't do this anymore. Go and sin no more, right? Um, they see um, uh, people lowered through the house uh, to him and he heals and raises them up and says, your sins are forgiven. And every religious person there says, who does he think he is? God? Only God can forgive sins, right? This goes on. He sees a woman go into the temple, put her little coin in the offering box and it becomes a, a, a moment of a lesson from Jesus. They see him take a boy's um, lunch of uh, a few loaves of bread and fish and feed thousands of people, Right? They're all in the midst of it, all the way to the end, right? The night before he dies, they see him get on his knees and take a towel and take the basin and do what no self-respecting Jewish man would do, work that was left only to the lowest of the low, get on his knees and wash their dirty feet. They're being discipled, right? Every day, all the time, everything he says, everything he does, they're learning, 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 shaping them, right? And they were getting it just like that, weren't they? No, they're just like us, right? After three years, he, Jesus turns around and they're arguing about what? Which one of them was the best, right? Which one of them was the most important? Um, Jesus had the 12. Um, think of him, think of him parrying with the um, Pharisees and the Sadducees and the ones who were trying to trip him up, the ones who would ultimately execute him. All of them trying, throwing um, issues uh, before Jesus. Um, and they're watching him verbally spar um, with them. What an education. What a learning. Because Jesus is giving it to them. But, you know, there's another picture too. It wasn't just those 12. There were really a lot of other disciples as well. They weren't going to be the apostles of the church. But take, uh, take that woman we read about. Her name was Mary, right? 
And then when Jesus goes to Martha's house, Jesus is teaching in this house. Martha goes to prepare food for the crowd that is coming is with Jesus for his disciples. But Martha's sister does what? She doesn't help in the kitchen. She sits at Jesus' feet. It's a beautiful picture of the disciple. What does a disciple do? They sit at Jesus' feet and they listen to him. And, and Martha storms out of the kitchen because Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and she says, Lord, tell her to get in the kitchen. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, which is really beautiful because that's a Semitic way of, of expressing affection, right? What did David say when he lost his son Absalom? Absalom, right? My son Absalom, Martha, Martha. Jesus loves Martha. But he says, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the more important thing, the more vital thing, right? And I'm not gonna take that away from her. So a disciple, um, and then what happens when the church is formed? So Jesus dies, resurrects from the dead, ascends to heaven, he's gone. What happens? Those he discipled begin to disciple others, right? We read about it in Acts. Chapter two, it says, so those who received the word were baptized and they were added that day. 3,000 people are converted. 3,000 people become disciples. And what's the next line say? Instantly, they became disciples and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the first church ever formed was a learning church, right? They're learning, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Everything Jesus taught them, they are now teaching others who would teach others, who would teach others, who would teach others through every culture, every age, all the way to Lakanto, Florida. On this day in 2021, where we're gathered and we're here to become disciples, to grow as disciples. You see, it's gone on for 2,000 years, passing on this faith. So a disciple learns Jesus. The first church was a learning church. So what's a Christian? A Christian is someone who is being apprenticed and taught, someone who learns Jesus. I love Romans 12 too. It says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be discipled by your culture. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, the word for Mind is nous in the Bible, N-O-U-S, nous uh, in, the, in the Greek. One of my old teachers used to say, fill your nous with biblical truths, right? Um, that you're not conformed to this culture. So the question's obviously, are you a student of Jesus? Are you a student? Are you a learner of Jesus? That's what a disciple is. A Christian is a disciple, a learner Jesus, are you discipling your kids? I mean, oh, let's face it, that's the, that's the responsibility primarily handed um, to parents. Um, and so as parents, you teach your kids the books of the Bible. You teach your kids the Ten Commandments. You teach your kids the Lord's Prayer. You catechize your kids. I remember when I was little, going through the catechism, having to learn the catechism, right? Can you see God, right? No you cannot see God. God does not have a body like men. God's invisible, you cannot see God. But I always remember the next part of that answer. But he can always see you. 
<laughs> you know, good for a little kid to know, right? Um, so you're, you're catechizing um, your children all the time. You're um, uh, reading at the dinner table. You're reading to them the Bible at uh, bedtime. You're discussing um, the day and world events at the, at the dinner table or on the way to school and, uh, and back so that you might bring every thought captive to the word of God. You're not just teaching them the Bible, but you're, every event that happens in the world. 9-11 right? Is it great? Uh, what happened in Afghanistan? This, that, everything, um, COVID, all kinds of, whatever's happening in the world, you're teaching your children how to think about those things biblically, right? That's discipling. That's training. That's preparing people to live. Um, that's why we have a Christian school here, right? Um, you can go to a public university, you can go to a, a state-run school, and you can ask the question, what's your purpose? And I'll promise you, none of them will say what a Christian school would say, which is at, at Seven Rivers Christian School, our purpose is to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a distinctive purpose. It's the purpose of every Christian. Imagine um, people who... Um, would name the name of Christ, say I'm a follower of Christ, very often did not prepare their children to um, live in the world, right? Um, live in the culture in which we live. And so they wonder why their children leave the home and abandon um, the faith and, and go their own way because they have not been what? Discipled. They have not been discipled. Um, you know, I, I, I heard a man say one time, I was like, plucking a tribesman from the Amazon, an Amazonian tribesman. That is somebody who basically wears no clothes, uh, has no shoes, lives in a, an entirely different kind of culture, completely cut off from the outside world, pluck that person out and drop them in Times Square in New York City and how would they thrive? I'll ask you a better question. What if I plucked you and dropped you in the Amazon? How would you thrive? I promise the tribesman would actually do better than you would dropped there. You're totally unprepared for that, right? So to take your child and drop them into a public university is the exact same thing, unless they're prepared. Jennifer Jeffess um, is part of our school faculty and administration. And years ago when my kids were in the school, she would take them to a bookstore in Orlando, right near Lake Eola, downtown Orlando, and a, a, a thoroughly secular um, bookstore. And not just secular, I mean, um, um, you know, witchcraft, uh, paganism, um, um, uh, you know, uh, sexually, um, uh, every, every kind of sexual practice that wasn't um, uh, in any way related to Christianity. Um, and you'd say, and once a month they had philosophy night in this bookstore. And, um, uh, and you would hear the wackiest stuff. And so she would take, the, they didn't take the kindergartners. They'd take the, um, you know, like the juniors and seniors and they'd go over there for philosophy night and they would listen and then they would politely ask um, um, questions and they would engage, not, 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 not um, um, 
being smart Alex or anything, not trying to talk anybody. Um, but what was she doing that? Why was she doing that? Why would she expose him to that thinking, that um, thinking hostile to Christianity? Why? 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 Because we're making what? Disciples. Jesus brought his disciples constantly into the most hostile environments. Why? You know, I think that being a disciple of Jesus would be like the most awesome thing, but then you remember they all got murdered. Right? So you prepare. Got to prepare. You learn Jesus. Got it? Um, Are you a learner? So we had a man in our church. He died in the last year. And uh, when I did his memorial service, um, his, his family, particularly his kids, would say, y- you know, there were really large swaths of his life that weren't very commendable. And um, it's interesting how the, often the kids will tell you that. And, um, but then they said, you know, something really happened in the last years of his life. He became a disciple. Um, and so his grandkids uh, would tell us that everywhere they went in their house, their granddad had a Bible. So even after he died, they'd go out to his um, workbench and he had a Bible on his workbench. If they went uh, to the table um, where you know, usually have a little table by where maybe you watch TV, he had a Bible there. He had a Bible uh, at the breakfast table. He had a Bible by his bed in the living room. He had a Bible or two or three in the bathroom. Um, whenever he went and picked them up in his uh, truck uh, from their sports practice, he was always reading the Bible when they got in the truck. I think they said we found 19 Bibles of his, and they were all marked. They were all studied Bibles. They weren't just, um, they didn't have dust and cobwebs on them. He was in the Bible all the time. He became a learner of Jesus. It's beautiful stuff. What a legacy for his grandparents. Got it? That's what a believer is. That's what a Christian is. They follow Jesus. They learn Jesus. Secondly, not only does a disciple learn Jesus, but they love Jesus. You want to know, know something interesting? Let's look at it um, together. Um, what happens here? Jesus is actually picking the 12. It says he saw Simon and Andrew. They're fishermen. They're casting their net into the sea. And Jesus said, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed. Got that? So it says he went all, along the shore a little further and he saw James and John And they were in their boat mending nets. They're obviously fishermen too. And immediately he called them and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So the first two left what? They left their nets, right? The second two he called, James and John, left their their dad. What What a powerful. Now, do you think they never fished again? No, no, no. We know they still fished, the Bible tells us. They didn't leave um, fishing completely. Do you think they never saw their dad again? No, that's not what the Bible's teaching. What it's teaching is that which held the most prominent place in their life had been displaced by Jesus, right? So the fishing was their what? It's, it's their vocation. 
There's vocation and there's family. What are the two things that often hold the most prominent place in our life? What gives us a sense of meaning and worth and value? Very often it's our vocation. I might say particularly if you're a male. And what is it gives us a sense of most meaning and significance, importance? It's your family. I might say even perhaps if you're female more than anything else. And yet Jesus claims both of them. They drop their nets and they follow. They left their father and they follow. What does the Bible say? You must love me more, Jesus said, than mother, father, sister, or brother. It's like when you get married, right? When you get married, you leave your house, the Bible says. You leave your mother and father and you go live with your wife. You cleave unto your wife, the old King James language. Um, Does that mean you don't love your mother and father? Well, you might not, but that's not what that means, right? Doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't love your siblings. You still have brothers and sisters, right? Doesn't mean you don't love them. But somebody is what? First. Somebody is first place. Somebody is the one and the only, right? Your spouse, um, your husband, your wife, right? So that's what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, and, and, and isn't it interesting? It doesn't say that he necessarily tells them to do that, but they do it because they're compelled. He is God and they love him. They make him first. He is preeminent. He's the priority. Then I read you this other passage. It's from Luke chapter nine. They're going along the road and someone says to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, well, I don't know if you've counted the cost because I'm homeless and, uh, and you might be too. If you follow me, it's hard to follow me. Um, one of the saddest things um, to me is, um, is I've seen, and, and particularly women, um, get excited about Jesus and um, want to go all in with Jesus and um, put their kids in the school, join a woman's Bible study, come to church, the whole thing. And they just come alive. They've never felt such purpose and joy and inner healing, and, and, but there comes to be an obstacle in their life, and that's called their husband. And a husband who very often will say, we're not giving a dime to the church, um, and the kids are not going to a Christian school, and, I'm, and, and, and you know, he, he knows he can't say you can't go to church, but the husband starts planning activities, family activities on the time the family would go to church, say, say it were Sunday morning. They start all of a sudden going to the beach, all of a sudden going to Disney, all of a sudden all that uh, is all happening. And there's a determination, I will wrest control of this family. I, you will lose your family to have Jesus. I have seen this so many times. And the woman then enters into this immense struggle, right? It's because the cost is so great. Um, and I have seen women wither under it and walk away from that ardor for Jesus. And I have seen others say, you can take anything from me. And you know, I, I'm your wife, we're, we're a couple. 
I'm, I'm not gonna give money that you don't agree to uh, give. I'm not gonna, um, uh, I'm, I'm not obviously gonna put our kids in a school that you don't agree with. We're, there, uh, we're a couple. But you c- will not take Jesus from me. Nothing can take him from me. You cannot steal my love for Jesus. He is the priority of my life. And, and, and you know what they'll communicate to their husbands very often is? And what you'll see over time is that the love of Jesus for me actually strengthens my love for you. And someone will even say, it actually enables me to love a jerk like you. <laughs> um, the love of Jesus. Um, so then, then there were some others on the road, you know, in this passage. Um, and, and, and they're the same. They both say, um, Jesus is follow me. And they both say, but let me first, let me first go this. Let me first go first. I got to do this. And, and Jesus has to uh, say to them, no, 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 you, no one puts their hand to the plow, uh, and, and looks back. Um, if they do, they're not fit for the kingdom of God. You, Jesus becomes preeminent, um, in that. Um, life. It's a powerful thing when you experience the love of Jesus, you begin to love him and love others in response. I wish you guys could have seen it this week. So we kind of at the last minute, you know, hearts broken over the, the people of Haiti and uh, their terrible plight. Um, and uh, so we asked uh, people in our church to respond. I wish you could have seen it because there was so much stuff brought here that that whole hallway outside this back wall was stacked with boxes as high as I am or higher along the entire um, wall. It was astounding. And then if you turned the corner and went out into the narthex, there were like wheelchairs and there was all kinds of other stuff. Somebody in our church went and bought like every tent available anywhere in Citrus County to donate to the people of Haiti. It was such an astounding um, 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 display of, of love for people you don't know. So proud of you guys. That's what happens when you're discipled by Jesus. Stuff like that happens. And, and it'll even shock you, right? Because you've experienced his love, you love him back, you love others. And last then, a disciple, um, it, not only a learner of Jesus, a lover of Jesus, but a disciple follows Jesus, right? A disciple follows Jesus. Jesus said, if any man would be my disciple, if any man's gonna follow me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross. Take up his cross, what does that mean? It means go and die. If any man's gonna be my disciple, he must die. He must die physically in some cases. Certainly it was true for the 12 but he must die to a self-led, self-reliant life. You must yield to my authority over you. Jesus said, don't call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say, right? So you yield authority um, to Jesus. Isaiah 45 says, you know, the, the clay doesn't say to the potter, why are you doing this to me, right? Um, the potter uh, doesn't even take advice from the clay, really. The potter's in charge. Um, I love it in Luke chapter, um, um, it, it's in Luke chapter five, where Jesus uh, goes 
uh, to Peter uh, after they've been fishing all day and they have no catch of fish. And one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, Jesus said, I want you to go back out. It's in the morning. They're, they're mending their nets. They already have their nets out of the water. I mean, this, it's arduous. They fished all night. They got nothing. And here comes the preacher. When the preacher walks into your workplace, that's not really good, you know, um, and starts to tell you how to run your business. Rob Young, you know that boat you're making? I've got some ideas for how that hull should be designed, um, right? I mean, the preacher walks in, um, and, uh, and what, what would people say in that situation? Hey, you know, why don't you go back and put your nose in a book and, uh, and come tell us what you found on Sunday? But I think I got the boat building um, uh, piece here. And so Peter could have said, I've done this my whole life. I know the Sea of Galilee. I know the fish. I know the nets. I know the seasons. There's nothing out there. This is a bust. But this this is the best. Peter says to Jesus, he says, go back out and fish. Throw your net on the other side. And Peter says, because you say so, I will. That's a disciple. Because you say so, I will. Um, so that's the question, you know, have you given Jesus ultimate authority? I'm not a Southerner, but you know what? I think it's good to teach children to say, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Because you're teaching children, you're discipling them to submit to authority, right? To show respect for authority. I don't even like it when people say Biden or Trump. It's President Biden. It's President Trump. Speak with, a th- with people that are put in authority whether you like them or not, right? Put yourself under authority. You show respect uh, to the office, if not to the person, right? Have you given Jesus that authority in your life? What it, to just give you an il- illustration. Um, you say, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. Um, and you're not married and you date somebody and you know that you can't marry a non-Christian. It doesn't even make sense if you're a Christian to marry a non-Christian. It, makes absolute, uh, it doesn't make any sense at all. If Jesus is the priority of your life, the passion of your life, uh, determines the purpose of your life, why would you marry somebody who doesn't um, uh, um, go along with any of that? You're just consigning yourself to utter misery, Right? Not only does it not make sense, I mean, uh, the Bible says don't do it, but suppose you say they're terrific, they're terrific in, in every uh, uh, respect, though they're not a Christian, and you marry them um, anyway. You know, what you're saying is, um, doesn't matter how much you've learned Jesus, it doesn't matter any of uh, what you say about being a Christian, you're saying, I have not yielded ultimate authority. What God tells me to do, I just consider it to be a recommendation. I just consider it to be pious advice, but I am still in charge, right? Um, listen, we live in a day in which um, people say, um, you know, I want Jesus, I want Jesus, but I gotta know he's safe. Uh, can I trust Jesus not to disagree with me? Because I really want Jesus and I want to be a Christian, but I'm not sure he's safe. Um, I want I want the right to reject anything in the Bible I don't like. But if you can admit anything in the Bible that offends you, 
then you retain the right to be the arbiter of truth and the master of your own life. You got it? Do, do you see that saying, you know, what's a Christian? Well, a Christian is somebody who's asked Jesus into their heart. It, it, there's a little more to it than that, don't you think? A Christian isn't somebody who's asked Jesus into their heart. Or even to say a Christian is somebody who believes that Jesus died for their sins. There's more to it than that, right? A Christian is somebody who learns Jesus, loves Jesus, right? And follows Jesus. So how do you become a disciple? Ready? How do you become a disciple? I've got a surprise for you. Because what you'd have to say is, to get picked as one of the disciples means you've got to be the cream of the crop. I mean, Jesus is going to give his life to make the whole world new. He's going to give you this ministry, and then he's exiting, so it's up to you. He's got to take it to the whole world, so he's going to pick really competent, really smart, really moral, really good people, right? Look at what the Bible says. Here's a surprise. Who does he pick? As he would pass by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth. Levi is Matthew. He saw Matthew, the tax collector, and to the most hated person in the community, the tax collector, Jesus said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he went to his house. And as he reclined at table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Who, are, who is he talking about? Who are the many? Prostitutes, tax collectors, the most sinful, the most hated. That's who Jesus picked. The, the immoral, those far from God, the disreputable. That means there's hope for you, even you, right? And if you say, well, that's insulting, Pastor. Exactly. <laughs> Jesus doesn't pick people because they're morally qualified. It, if you're a disciple, it's by grace. You don't have one attribute that made you attractive to God. It's just his grace. His favor on you is utterly unmerited. And that's what motivates us to be disciples is this shocking um, love he has for us, this sacrificial love he has for us. So Lewis Mulkey was a firefighter in um, Charleston, South Carolina. But he not only wore the title captain as he was at the fire department, um, firehouse, the head of his firehouse, um, engine 15, um, but he also wore the title coach because he coached uh, basketball. He took a group of eighth grade boys and coached them. And he told those boys, if you stick with me all the way through high school, I'll make you state champions. It was an audacious thing to say because these boys were from the wrong side of the tracks. These boys were from broken homes. Nobody ever believed in these boys, right, to do anything. These boys um, really didn't have a dad. Louis Mulkey said... I'll get you there. It was audacious because they never ever won a state championship before at the school. They didn't have a great tradition for basketball or anything. And um, 
every year he coached them. And uh, eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, not a state championship yet. That was going to be the senior year. And uh, then tragedy struck. June 18th, before the senior year, those boys' year, Louis Mulkey and um, eight other firefighters died. Um, the largest loss of first responders in our country in one incident uh, since 9-11. And um, he'd been married one year. It was roughly his one-year anniversary. Um, when uh, he called out Mayday, Mayday, you can, you can listen to this, by the way. ESPN did this story. Um, his last words to, to the dispatch was... Um, I want you to tell my wife, tell her I love her. The last words he said. So you can imagine um, how devastated the community was, the family was, but those boys, right? So they dedicated their senior citizen to their coach, Louis Mulkey. The fire department made a hat, you know, uh, um, and they put the, the, the school colors and they put Coach Mulkey they made a special carrying case. They brought it to every game. They took that hat out and they put it right on the, the fourth seat on the bench that he would sit in to coach the game so that their coach, you know, symbolically was with them. They played their whole senior year. They made the state tournament. They won their first three games. They made it into the state semifinal. And they were losing by five points with uh, 90 seconds to go. Seemed like the dream was over. The whole crowd began to chant. Louis Mulkey, over and over. They rallied to win the game. They made it to the state final. And you know, at the state championship, they won in the last second of the game. Unbelievable. The entire um, crowd in their hometown, Somerville, South Carolina, were gathered in... Um, in the, in the town square to welcome them home. They had to take a bus across the state a number of hours. They're getting home at 1.32 in the morning and the whole city is waiting to welcome them. But they didn't go to the town square. They went to the cemetery. And every boy walked up to the grave of their coach, took off their medal they just won and left them there. Every boy walked up to that grave and said, we did it for you, coach. We did it for you. We love you. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's why we come to worship. That's why we live out our lives. That's why we give to Haiti. That's why we love each other. That's why we learn Jesus, right? We did it for you, coach. We love you because nobody has ever loved us like you do. So if Jesus is speaking to you this morning and he says, follow me, drop everything and go, amen. Jesus, thank you that you are our captain. 
our coach, our teacher, our savior, our friend, our brother, our Lord. And you don't leave us alone in this world, but you walk into our lives. Say, come on with me, I'll take you. I'll take you to places you'll never go on your own. I will teach you how to live in this world and together we'll make all things new. It is a beautiful thing to belong to you and be your disciple. We thank you in Jesus' name, the name of our coach, even Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.